very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm Angelo DeCipio, joined as I am weekly by the happy haberdasher, the smartest guy in the room. I'm contractually obligated to say that, Dan the Man Sebastiano. Hey, Danny, how you doing? I'm all right, Angelo. Looking forward to a good conversation. Danny, I got a good report uh, from Scott Casey. Scott said uh, you held down the fort pretty good in my absence. Hey, I mean, you just point him in the direction and he can tell you stories for hours. So that was pretty easy. Oh, man. Scott, God bless Cowboy Scott Casey. We need more of him. Uh, By the way. Hope, uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, I hope, uh, hope Car- our, our uh, friend Karen wasn't listening, though. He, Cowboy had some words <laughs> to say about Wahoo. Yeah. And, uh, you may as well call that Wahoo McDaniel R rated. Because <laughs> it pretty much was. It may as well have been X-rated, but if you get Karen on there, it will be X-rated. <laughs> Dan, we got a special show tonight. Uh, uh, we are going to uh, take a road uh, that's very less traveled on this show. We're going to go into my past a little bit, and one of the people who represents my past is a gentleman who did very, very well for himself. I'm very proud of him, happy to call him a friend even though we haven't seen each other in 30 years. <laughs> and he still looks the same, and I look like his father. <laughs> this is Jim Fife, and let me tell you a little bit about him, Dan. Uh, he is widely regarded as an actor, writer, TV host, theater director, acting and presentation coach, and he hails from the great mecca of Haddonfield, New Jersey. Nice. That's and, uh, true. That's all true. Yes, so far. Most. Outside, <laughs> outside of his acting work, his, uh, his additional works have included the Rockland County Day School in Congress, New York, where he began in 2003, I believe. He started there as a history teacher before becoming the school's administrative director, later as headmaster, its upper division head, and then finally the operations administration while continuing to teach history. In 2015, he began work alongside television host, Stan's favorite guy, Stephen Colbert, as a producer for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And although no longer an active actor, his past and vast credits include Tanner, 88, Young Indiana Jones, The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, Ghostbusters 2, where he played Scolari Brother Number 1, represented by me, Teen Knight Rider, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV series. Um, The redo of Dark Shadows, where he played Willie Loomis, and very convincingly, by the way. We're going to talk about that a little bit, too. Just a little, because I know you don't want to talk about acting. We'll get on to it. And then my favorite of all Jim Fight's credits, because I really liked how they did stuff, was called Buy Me That, A Kid's Guide to TV Advertising. With that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome my old friend, long-time friend of mine. God, I haven't seen him in eons, 35 years probably, Mr. Jim Fife. Jim, welcome. Hi, everybody. Dan, Angelo, great to see you again. Hi, everybody. Well, I'll tell you what, brother. I uh, I called you the Renaissance man on this amazing uh, graphic behind me. You are truly a guy who has redefined himself, reinvented himself. Uh, and while a lot of people, Jim, may have given their their left testicle or right leg to be uh, an actor, you're a guy who said, you know what? That's enough. 
let's let's get grounded again. And, uh, boy, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely yeah. true. And I think you're the only person that I've that's ever really just put it that way. And that's that's absolutely what it was. It was just, you know, yeah. I just uh, I had a great ride. A part of that, Jim, comes from, you know, from knowing the essence of who you are. You know, a person can change a lot of things over time. The one thing they don't really change is the core of who they are. Yeah. And, you know, because you're a Jersey guy, you're just you're naturally grounded anyway. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Dan, you know, we're both going to bitch slap you, okay? (laughs) Why yeah, I was born there too. And what the hell happened to you, Dan? <laughs> wow. So let's let's talk about this journey, brother. You have had an amazing journey. I should point out that uh, almost immediately after your graduation, you got uh, you got work. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much, re- I mean, you went to college for theater. Right. Uh, I, I actually, you don't know this, but I actually saw a couple of your college productions. Um, and right after, I believe, oh my God, what I want to say is, uh, what the hell show was it? Shit. No, it wasn't that show. No, it wasn't that one. You had this old fashioned English pipe. Yeah, it like kind of a Sherlock Holmes pipe. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm trying to remember what played this was. But anyway, it might have been one of your last stage productions that I saw. Because right after that, you know, Hollywood called and the movies hit. So, um, you know, we everybody in school knew that you were going to be an actor. You made no bones about it. You wanted to be a, a, an actor. Right. You never, it's funny, though, because you never said you wanted to be a star. You always said, I want to be an actor, along with our friend John Kendall. Angelo, you're killing it tonight with the insights. This is, uh, I should be writing this stuff down. And this is, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to be an actor because I really enjoyed it. And you're absolutely, once again, you have put your finger directly on the truth. So what was it about acting that was so appealing to you, other than it's a great way to make money and not have to work a regular job. Yeah, that th- those two things. Uh, the third <laughs> thing is it's a great was a great way to meet girls, which is like it really definitely like definitely a big part of it. And the, the third part was uh, for lack of just you know if we're really gonna speak truth, uh, it was all spiritual. I felt myself become somebody else, but also at the same time more myself than I'd ever been. There's no, that sounds kind of ridiculous when you say it, but that's exactly what it felt like. And I knew I wanted more. That's interesting that you say that. The the journey we take is often spiritual, whether we recognize it, realize it or not. Um, It's an extension really of who we are. Um, I'm going to get more into that, but Dan is, uh, is a guy who's sitting there He's because I know when he's got a question, he he has this look in his eyes. It's just they they kind of stare for a minute, and then he's thinking. So I'm going to go to Dan. So go ahead, Dan, ask your question. Well, I'm curious, Angelo, when he was doing his introduction, you know, your study of history as a yeah. history major myself, and I have friends that are acting as well. 
history never struck me as something that they were other than obviously the history of film that they were really all that interested in. What drew you from acting to, to study history? Oh, thank mm. you. That's a great question. I never got a degree in history. My college degree is in theater and my master's degree is in education. History was my hobby. So uh, I, 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 you know, as happens to you in life, you show up for a thing and they're like, ah, wait. I showed up for a drama teacher job. And they're like, yeah, we did do it. We don't need a drama teacher anymore, but we, we just need somebody to teach uh, one section of medieval history. And they, they named some topics. And I was like, well, no, actually, those topics you talk about are the Renaissance, not the Middle Ages. They were like, you're hired. So <laughs> uh, I, look, I, I was a terrible student in high school. I didn't. All I cared about was uh, Angelo can attest to this. Uh, cracking up my friends and tr trying to impress girls by cracking up my friends and waiting until the next play came along. Uh, math, science, forget it. D, D minus, F, and the rest of the subjects, whatever grade I happen to get. But I went to college and I just had, I had a great history teacher, this guy, Dr. Jim Dow, he's long gone. He was immortal. The guy was incredible. He told it all present tense. He taught it all as happening like right now. So Peter the Great goes to the military and he says that it was just riveting. And I, I guess also mature maturity wise, I was ready. It just just grabbed me. And I think growing up Catholic, it's impossible not to uh, have a sense of history, too. So uh, there's all that stuff. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dan. Continue. Well, then let me let me continue with that. Uh, when you were had talking about the pulse and Angelo, I believe the words you used were, were settle back to reality. Um, put us in that mindset. I mean, I've obviously looking through your, your histories The I was a big fan of like the X files and, and I, you, you, if I remember correctly, you narrated, or I guess should say you did the audiobook for the outsiders. Correct. Oh, wow. You guys do the deep cuts. This is great. Uh, I did do the audiobook of The Outsiders. That is absolutely correct. Okay. So, I mean, you had, uh, uh, like Angela said, a very successful run. What was your, you mentioned Catholic, so no pun intended here, but what was your coming to Jesus moment where you said, <laughs> I'm done with this? Uh, uh, you know, it really began pretty much the second I moved to Los Angeles because I was in New York for a long time and uh, I had a really nice run there and uh, I did Dark Shadows but I still lived in New York. And then, you know, I got married. We had a baby. And by, uh, around 1993, it was like, look, we better go now or, you know, our, our daughter's going to be too old and in school, blah, blah, blah. So we went to L.A. And uh, boy, I just I did I didn't like it there. I didn't like the business. Um, you know, there'd be a weird thing where you would see guys that you knew from New York and when you're in New York and you're auditioning, you're hanging out like it's raining out. It's February. It's 32 degrees. And you're all just kind of miserable sitting there in the same audition room. And everybody's just like, yeah, it's kind of like work workers, you know, you're like, all right. But you go to L.A., it's it's this it's a gambler's town. And it feels like everybody is there like this job is going to be the one that makes me a billion, you know, and and yeah. that change would I would see some of the same guys out there and they would totally freeze me out. It was like, what is going on? And it, the answer, I think, is just that the stakes were so high. And that's why I went there. I didn't go there because I loved it. I just thought it was the next step. And even I, though every year. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say uh, 
I saw that same scenario play out uh, in my own field in Las Vegas in television and radio. People come there thinking that they're literally going to hit the jackpot. Sure. You know, they they come in a uh, $70,000 car and they leave in a $200,000 bus. <laughs> Oh, it's uh, it's a remarkable thing. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, you and I have a mutual friend who followed you out to uh, to Los Angeles, uh, who got a uh, an awakening quickly and came right back to the East Coast. Uh, our friend, Mr. Kendall. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he got a wake up call real quick and just said, uh, you know, time look, to go home. You know, it's it's every day that you're in in the business as an actor. And look, I was all in all in from the time I was 17. Oh yeah. And until I was, I don't know, in my early forties, <clears throat> I was a hundred percent in, but every day you are having to answer the question. You ready for this today again? You ready for this again? Because it, you know, it's exciting kind of like, uh, I guess internet dating or, you know, it's exciting because yeah. the, the possibilities are so exciting, but yeah. you know, it, it, I got to a level uh, so this is a long answer to your short question. I got to a level where it was like, oh, okay, I'm basically making my living, but I do not like the work that I'm getting, and I don't like watching myself in this. I'm not doing anything. I was never, you know, killing anybody or doing anything. I never did anything I'm ashamed of, you know, but it right. was just like, I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like there's got to be it's more inside me than this. That was really just, and it wasn't a moment. It was more like that feeling just sat there. And every year, like I say, I did better and better. Right at the end, um, I also got hired to write for TV. And that was like, that was a shot in the arm because that was like, oh, oh, this is where the ideas are made up and where the show actually happens. You know, the average Sorry? Who was that for? That was for a talk show with Ken on the Oxygen Network, which was a oh, really sure. small network at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, so I would write an opening monologue for her for every episode. And nobody saw it, which was great because, like, she was actually, like, a you know, still a pretty big star. But I could kind of cut my teeth on writing for somebody pretty well known. And, like, it wasn't, like you know, the tonight show or something. It wasn't a huge oh, thing. Sure. So it was great. She was great. It was a fantastic experience. So I thought, yeah. Oh, this is what I'm going to do now. And then right. a, a, a bunch of other stuff happened, but, uh, you know, it you, did it, you have that, a, an incredible body of work behind you and, you know, good work, you know, it's that shoddy stuff. It, this is good stuff you've done, but, there's a lot of it, which means that you had a lot of doors slammed in your face. Oh, yeah. uh, you had a lot of rejections. You went to, to get that much work. If that's the tip of the iceberg, then the work that you had to put into auditions and cold calls and all the rest of that that goes on in Hollywood, that must have been exacerbated, you know, just, just exhausting. Yeah. You know? So yeah. talk to me about the process of making money in Hollywood when, when you're, you know, when you're, you're eating, you know, macaroni out of a can, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, by the time I got there, I had, I had done like a bunch of stuff on the East coast, theater, TV, and even some films. So I had done some stuff. So, you know, I wasn't starting from absolute zero. 
you know, but the first, I don't think I worked for the first, like, I don't know, eight months that I was out there, but, um, you know, it, it, it just, it, this was my job. This was what I did. And also I had a wife and a child and it's like, dude, you got to get out there and do this. Like you can't be like, and, and also really, I don't think there was a Thanksgiving or a Christmas in the eight years that I lived there where I was not putting on my tux to go out and cater. I just had to do it. My wife went back to oh, graduate school and, you know, it was just like the, the bills have to get paid. It's just like that's you got to do it. So it's people pressure. don't understand that. Yeah, Jim, people don't understand that. You know, they they see films, you know, with the uh, the struggling actor, you know, waiting tables in the restaurant. That's for real. That's real stuff. Sure. That actually happens. Yeah. Dan, go ahead, pick up on that. Well, you know, uh, to kind of cycle back to one of the points you were making, um, Angelo mentioned that before the show, we always end up working at least one comment about wrestling into everything we do. <laughs> Every in, in, in the wrestling world, Every- there's a there's a term called fantasy booking where people often look at a product and say, well, I would have had this match or this person. So I'm curious, if since we're looking on it in the past, especially as a man of history, fa- if you could fantasy book for me, is there a part, a role, or something that if you had gotten, you would have stayed? Sure. I was down to the final 10 for Saturday Night Live in 1985. I would have taken that job. Back up there, brother, man. Okay, I don't know this story. And I did some pretty good research on you. I don't know this one. Uh, I can tell you, you know, um, what I did was uh, in the early 80s, you know, I got out of college. I I did start working a a little bit, but it was all like low, non-union uh, uh, theater mostly, but I was just, you know, just to work, just to go, just to be there doing it. And I was temping and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, I just began to, people would say, you know, yo, that, that funny thing that you did or that character that you did. So I just started putting it together. And at one point I just put it all together and I invited a bunch of people. I said, I'm going to do this thing. I don't know how long it is. And I don't know if it's any good, but I'm just going to do it because I want to do it for supportive people. So I did this thing and it turned out to be like an hour and a half of material talking about my family and just stupid stuff and characters and stuff. So I kind of had this whole thing. This was in the early 80s when like the stand up boom was happening, the skinny tie, you know, blazer pushed up, you know, against a brick wall, uh, standing against a brick wall thing. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go do stand up. Cause that's what I guess this stuff is that I put together. So I cut out like a few minutes and went and auditioned a couple of clubs and I started working a little bit. And that was right at the time that I started getting actually paid like theater work. So I was an understudy in a Broadway show and then I could go do comedy sets at like 11 at night. And so I, I had some material that I, I had worked out like in clubs and, and you know, kind of road tested it before live paying mostly drunk audiences which is the best way absolutely you really are scoring so i went and did that for that i got an agent from this show and then like saturday night live was casting and lauren michaels was coming back and i was like can you get me in so they got me in and uh, this is the truth i auditioned for al franken in his office with his partner his then partner tom davis and they were coming and I did I did my absolute gold material, like the set closer thing. 
And it was a sweet experience where, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, Angela, there's a lot of no, door slammed in your face and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But like when you see it flip over from no to yes, right in the room, because you did something, that is a that is a heady brew. Oh, absolutely. We should tell people that uh, Al Franken and Tom Davis, uh, uh, you know, uh, in case you, you recognize the name Al Franken, that's Senator Al Franken, former senator now, Al Franken. Uh, Franken and Davis was a comedy team. Uh, and they uh, they worked together for a long time on Saturday Night Live and in television and film. And it's interesting that Al Franken, of all people, is the guy that you had to do your uh, audition for. It's, re- it's really a producer. He was kind of moving up from being one of the writers to being a producer. So, yeah, anyway, so that was would- like a whole series of, you know, callback, 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 callback. And then in the end, my agent said to me, listen. Here's what's going on. It, this is the final 10. You got to go in three times over the next three days. They are the, they want to hire Anthony Michael Hall for the show, but he wow. wants a boatload of money and he wants his friend on the show and he wants this and he wants that. So they're like, it's either him or you. And I was like, okay. So I go to the final audition. And I walk in the door and I bump into somebody physically and it's Anthony Michael Hall. And he's talking about how he's going to be on the show to this girl. And I just thought, well, what the fuck am I doing here? This guy, they clearly they have now made their deal and I'm done. So I literally took myself off and into like a corner, like a, you know, away from everybody. And I said, look, man, you got a choice. You either leave now, just leave, just walk out. Or if you stay, do this, fucking do this. This, this is like, you have put everything into this, do this now yeah. because you don't know, right? So I go into the room, okay? And when you audition, it's usually in these big rooms, you know? And there's, at the beginning of the process, there's like one person on the other side of the table. And as you go, there's more people on the other side of the table. Yeah. So there's everybody on the other side of the table, Lauren Michaels and like all these people. And there's Anthony Michael Hall on the other side of the table watching me audition. So I just thought, fuck this. So I just did it. You know, I just, you know, gave it my all. And uh, then the next day was a taping at, NBC and I gave that 100% and then I didn't get the gig. Did he know that you knew? I doubt it. His? Yeah, I was going to say that that would have meant for an what weren't me it would have made for an interesting confrontation. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you you talk about the the fantasy story the you said that was 85, yeah. right? Yeah. The the 85 SNL was often regarded as the worst season they've ha- ever had because of how go. bad the cast was. Yeah. Uh, you know, who knows if you had peeked in, maybe, you know, that that one or two memorable characters. Sure. You know, I also auditioned when I moved to L.A. that summer it was August. They were casting the pilot of Friends. And I knew Marta Kaufman and David Crane because I had done a children's theater play that they wrote. And so I went in on audition and Marta Kaufman gave me a big, oh, my God, it's great to see you. And then I read and nothing. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> so that would have been a game changer. Really? That is, does that rejection, after a while, does it wear on you or did you just become numb to it? And oh, how, how do you not take it? I know, that, you know, the, in the mob, you know, as Dan will tell you, because we just had a mob show, they say <laughs> it's not personal, it's just business. Well, how do you, how do you not take it personal, this business? That's, that's, the, that's, the re that's the main reason this is such a difficult life. I mean, because, you know, you look, I mean, in New York, you could, I could get cast as kind of a wider range of things. Yeah. But out there, you get cast as what you look like to somebody who drives past you in a car going 40 miles an hour. That's what the you get cast as. Interesting thing I heard about Jim, I heard this recently and I shook my head because it's typical in my mindset. It's typical California thinking. They were casting a film and they were looking for a Danny Trejo type. Well, why not just cast Danny Trejo? <laughs> well, why are you looking for a Danny Trejo type? Why don't you, he's, I'm sure he's available. <laughs> that's where, I'm, that's where I, my head is going. Like, if you know what you're looking for, just hire that actor. Like, why is there this type? Explain to people what I'm talking about when I say a type. Well, I think what, uh, you know, I mean, a type is just like, what do you look like when somebody glances at you very quickly? Like, you know, uh, 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 they, like the bouncer in the club like, or the guy standing there drinking a mug of beer. You know what I mean? You, you mm -hmm. are not going to be in a tuxedo with a, tu you know, with a martini, you know, that just, I mean, again, just like never right. met you before this, just a like glance at you. I am going to, you know, uh, I, I played uh, a wide range of roles in, in Los Angeles, nerds, nerds with attitude, uh, nerds with serious attitude and <laughs> mentally deranged people of various types. That's pretty much it. And my, wife used to say i'd be like why don't i get my work more work she just said stopped at one point and looked at me she said look there's just something off about the way you look <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you another one is this podcast this is an r-rated podcast or what is yes sir my, there are no language parameters whatsoever my first agent in la my first agent in la this is like so you can't write this stuff he said to me you know what son there's three kinds of parts in this town Killers, fuckers, and clowns. And I don't see you killing or fucking anybody. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. That's great. <laughs> oh, shit. That yeah. is classic. Although, uh, speak, you know, <laughs> that's funny. Well, then then let me, let me ask you something. Going off of what you were just saying, um, I had a... a interview a couple months back and he was telling the story about getting casted and as a he you know, tends to play bad guys and it basically got to the point where the casting agents were telling him you know your your audition was perfect but you're just not brown enough or you don't look terrorist enough and mm -hmm. I'm curious when I look at the, the 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 your body of work and obviously you mentioned nerds and and the scientists and the geek and you know Jimmy the Geek being a great example of that. Um, you know, how does that go about? Like, if if you know the part you're you're going for is that of nerdy henchman or nerdy sidekick, do you go in in straight Revenge of the Nerd style? Like, I'm going to be the biggest nerd these guys have ever seen, you, or or do you right. kind of play it up and, and go from there? 
You mean did I dress up? Well, no, I'm I'm saying when you when you okay, yeah, maybe that's that's a good way of putting it. Did you mm-hmm. intentionally look the part? Maybe grease the hair a little more than usual. A little, you know, the thing was, uh, it didn't take much. You know what I mean? I mean, nobody's going to put me in a tux with the martini. I am never going to be, was never going to be the next James Bond. You know, look, you get slotted into a thing. And then when you start to, to be seen in that kind of role, the problem is you're going to get more of that kind of part. It's very difficult for actors to break out of the niche that they get put in, whatever it is, which is why so many actors when they get some money and some clout they have production companies so they can start casting themselves in roles that will stretch them and all that kind of stuff so that's yeah and and there's a lot of that going on and you know somebody gets one decent role all of a sudden now they're they're a company you know and then you'll never hear from them that they're doing independence film. Yeah, you, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, that was certainly my, my plan wasn't necessarily to have a company. My plan was to get on a hit show and then about year three start directing because, you know, everybody wants to branch out. You know how it is. Singers want to be actors. Actors want to be singers. Comedians want to be sing- you know, like you know, like everybody wants to branch out and certainly nobody wants to just play the same part over and over and over again. Then again, there are people who figure that out and can be at peace with that. God bless. Great. You know, you know, we have have a friend of this show. Dan and I have a dear friend of this show. His name's Nikita Brezhnikov. He, uh, he is an actor. He's a full-time actor. Uh, his uh, claim to fame is a film called brush with danger. Uh, but he makes his living in the wrestling business oh, and wow. he equated the wrestling business very much to the film business, the, uh, the entertainment aspect of it. Sure. Um, and he, he told Dan and I an interesting story and Dan, you'll remember the story. He went up for an audition in LA. The woman casting director, uh, the casting agent was a woman. She says to him, what kind of acting experience do you have? So he starts to spout off his professional wrestling credentials. <laughs> and she looks at him and says, well, that's not acting. He says, well, I beg to differ. Here's, here's what I do. Can you do this? Go in front of 20, 30,000 people without a script and improvise and have to be right and have to be on your mark every time. Can you take any given situation and improvise it? You see where I'm going here. It's all improvised. Mm-hmm. All this is the Sylvester Stallone said it best when casting for uh, Paradise Alley. He said these guys are the best improvisational actors you'll ever find <laughs> because they can take any situation. It's the truth. Yeah. 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 You know, and knowing a little bit about improv, and I know and know you do because we used to do a little bit of that when we were younger. Sure. My parents, by the way, still talk about you and John Kendall coming over to the house with those guitars, playing these Mexican, whomever <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Oh my God! And my father is eighty, and my mother's eighty-five, and they still remember that night. Wow! <laughs> Suffice it to say, it was a very festive Christmas that that year. Tell them I say hello. I sure will. I, I absolutely will. Um, so let's talk. There's a, one of your credentials I mentioned, and I want to find out what this is. A presentation coach. What does a presentation coach do? Okay, well, what does a presentation coach do? I, another thing that I fell into, a woman, a young woman, a former student of mine, was a babysitter for a woman named Susan Kane, who uh, had been an attorney on Wall Street, but then was quit that to be to write, and she had written a book, and she was going to go give this TED Talk in Vancouver, 5,000 people or something like that. And the thing is, her book is about being an introvert. Yeah. So it's, you know, this was really a challenging thing for her. So she was in a panic and she said to my former student, Eliza, who was her babysitter, I don't know what to do. I need somebody to help me put this thing together. I'm panicking. I got two weeks. And do you know anybody? And she said, she gave her my number. So I started working with Susan and uh, her TED Talk has been viewed, I don't know, 20 million times or something like that. It's, yeah, you know, and her book became a big hit. Da, 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 da. So this became like a little side hustle for me. Uh, I've been teaching full time since about 2003, but then this fell into my lap. And Susan is one of these people who's like constantly referring people to me. Like, sure. I didn't have to do anything. So, you know, I did that for a few years. And then uh, about four or five years ago, I got a website and started to go, well, what happens if I push this, you know? And so, you know, I have a website, jimfife.com. You can check it out. And I've coached people for TED Talks, uh, presentations, etc. And the thing is that I basically, it's just that in our time, you know, if you're going to give a speech, it's not going to generally be like behind a podium with notes, you know, you're expected, like the TED thing is you got a little, you know, mic dangling yeah. by the side of your face and you're going to have to move through space and make a point and connect with an audience. So, yeah. you know, there's the writing aspect of it, but there's also, you know, it is again, like acting and like wrestling, it is a performance of a kind. And so sure. you got to start to develop those things. So that's what I do when I do various forms of it, whatever the client needs, just helping people to connect with an audience with their ideas. It's interesting, you know, uh, when you hear the term presentation coach, you would think to yourself, you know, I would put it this way, I would think to myself, well, if I'm confident enough to stand in front of people and just speak from the heart, why isn't that effective enough? But there's a, a dynamic that, for example, like with, you mentioned TED Talks. I love the TED Talks, by the way. There's a dynamic that exists in that a lot of the time, the people that you're speaking before are jaded, cynical um, of alternative belief systems and trying to, to reach them on, on that mutual ground is sometimes very difficult. Um, that's why comedy works at TED Talks. Sure. Because everybody can relate to laughter. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, go ahead, Dan. Well, then going off of that, what you were talking about with the, the presentation and the demeanor and all, 
you have to obviously have an eye, not just for what they're going to do, but the person. I mean, tips you would have given her would be different than, say, the tips you would give me. So how put us in that mindset. Someone comes to you and says, I need help. I'm going to make a speech, a presentation, whatever. Do you? Do they have to audition for you in a sense of like, show me what you got so that I know where we're, where we're starting? How does, that, how does that process work? Their audition is they call me and they have cash. That's the audition. <laughs> You're in. Man's, man's honest. Yeah, really. I mean, look, it's, it's a side business for me. Uh, I've never, I, I, I've turned some people away, but I've turned them away because I don't feel like I can help them. You know, um, and really all of their Jim, are, go back for go back for just a second. I want to explore that. Sure. Explore that. To turn somebody away because you don't think that you can help them, is that based on your lack of confidence in your ability or their lack of teachability? Uh it neither. Um I'm actually pretty confident, you know, I try not to, be, I don't want to be like a blowhard guy or whatever, I w- but I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't feel like I have something to offer. Oh, um, sure. but, but no, I turn, turn people away. Like if somebody comes to me and it's like, I have stage fright and I can't even get up and speak, you know, in front of a, two people or say my name and da, da, da. like, I, I can't really do that because I, you know, just the way I structure my costs, I don't, you know, it's, it's not a course it's uh, I'm really helping you. It's my motto on my website. You have something to say. I'm here to help you say it. So it's somebody who's coming to me who's already like, I want to communicate this. I'm not there to necessarily help people get over stage fright. So that's the number one thing that people call me about where I go, you know, go to Toastmasters because that's really more about get aversion therapy to get you through that. I'm I'm more like a coach, which is like, you got to be you got to be ready. You got to really want to say what you have to say. It's right. very interesting what we're talking about this because again, this show, you know, to tie into wrestling, this show has a dear friend named Sal Carrenti who was just on in fact. Um, Sal actually books speakers uh-huh. for events and not just wrestling events. Uh, you know, he's got a, a number of uh, Major League Baseball players, football. He handles sports. But the biggest, and, and for me, and I just sometimes I just laugh because sports guys, let's be honest, they're, they're, sometimes they're not the most articulate people. Interestingly enough, Jim, you'll find this funny. The wrestling community is quite articulate. I'm not even kidding. There, it's a very, it. Yeah, it's a very articulate community. But when I listen to a football player, give a speech or try to get motivational. I just, I, I cringe. And sometimes I just got to go like, you know, do one. Of these. <laughs> you know, go ahead, Dan. You know what I'm talking about too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. Um, the, the, oh, yeah. I hate to say it, but you learn real quick that certain stereotypes like the dumb jock tend to filter through certain aspects of society but let me let me ask you something then um since you were talking about the 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 demeanor and and the appearance i'm curious angelo was talking got me thinking we've had a lot of people on the show and some of them have had great stories about helping other people's careers uh sometimes it's something as simple as i bumped into somebody on the subway and i was like 
you have to come train or whatever. Have you, do you have any stories like that? A friend of yours, anybody, you know, where you saw him and you're like, look, I, if you, if you have never thought about acting or never thought about whatever, go check it out. Yeah. I, I would never, ever, ever recommend that somebody go into acting ever. <laughs> I'm you not, know, it, I was going to ask you here's about the it. thing. If you, if you want to go into it, if you going to want to go into it, one of the, one of the first, uh, you know, I, you shouldn't go into it. I mean, you shouldn't go into it unless you really literally can't do anything else. Yeah. That's the way I, I mean, that's the way I see it. And like there are many people who, you know, uh, like a guy who's a wrestler and could do it as a, as a side thing. It, it's great. But really it is as a thing to put all your chips in, the, in that, <laughs> on the table, yeah. it's, it's going to cost you everything. My daughter was doing it until like last spring, she's 29 and she was, she was at it for about seven or eight years. And it was, you know, I, I did, I'm so glad she quit, you know, it's Jim, a how do you handle that? When, when you have, when your when your daughter comes to you and says, you know, pop, give me some advice. I got, you know, I went for, I went up for an audition today. I didn't get it. They said that, you know, I was good, but they were looking for they were looking for this. They were looking for younger. They were looking for older. They were looking for whatever. Uh, how do you uh, how do you come to terms with the with just saying that to to your child, you know, this is not something that I want for you, and or, or or really being honest and saying this is something I don't think you really can handle. Well, I thought she could handle it. And she mm-hmm. certainly, I was always just really honest with her. She grew up, you know, at all these years in LA that I'm talking about watching yeah. me go out to auditions with different changes of clothes, you know, eating lunch in my car, brought her with her, me to some auditions. Uh, she saw me going out at Christmas and weekends to go cater and all this stuff. She knew about the life. I mean, I knew nothing about it when I set out, yeah. nothing. You know, but she sure. knew something and through me, she had a few little connections to kind of get started. But, right. you know, I told her, you know, I was very honest with her. I said, look, you have talent. I, I think you will work sooner mm-hmm. or later. Question is always going to be, will it be enough financially and emotionally? So interesting. This is it. Interesting you know? stuff. Dan, you and yes, I sir. can relate to this different levels. Uh, we've seen and interviewed, in fact, uh, uh, offspring of famous wrestlers. We've talked to wrestlers whose kids tried to make it in the business and uh, couldn't or didn't for whatever reason. Right. Uh, one of the most famous, Jim, is a, a guy named David San Martino who had some big shoes to fill. Yeah. His daddy was a guy named Bruno San Martino. I totally, I totally remember Bruno San Martino. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, we just had his... Uh, we just celebrated his 85th birthday uh, posthumously. Sure. And uh, his, here you go. Here's a guy who's, whose son was so overshadowed by his father's fame and success right. that there's no way he could have made it. At least, you know, you know not to say that you're not famous because you certainly are. If I know who you are, you're famous. Okay, so let's get, <laughs> so let's get that straight. But I digress. But here's the thing, though. It's interesting because a lot of people in the business immediately say, I don't want that for my child. The wrestling business, sports, 
film, television. I go get a normal job. Go, work in an office. Whatever the case. Why is that? Is it is it the knowledge that you know what they're going to face? I think or, so. You know, yeah. You want you want better for your kid. You know, and uh, you know. Again, uh, look. She well now she's she's still in the family business because she became a teacher. Yeah, but yeah. what I see, what I see is. Even though she's not making a lot of money, you know, right now, I mean, she's just starting out, but like she's not making a lot of money. But what I see is she's getting the emotional benefit of doing something that connects you to other people. When you like I said about L.A. back at the beginning of this whole thing, it's like it's a gambler's town and it's like everybody is there with their chips and they want to they've got their system or their thing. They're going to break in and, you know, everybody's looking at the horizon and this big thing that's going to happen. And um, it's a, it can be a really cold, cold life, not because people are mean. People are fine, you know, but it is a business. It's a company town Absolutely. and it's a business. The business wants you or they don't. And really, yeah. it isn't personal. You know, it isn't. Yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead, Danny. Well, you know, you, you talked about it as a job. There's teaching is probably one of the greater examples. There's professions where money is never the driving force. There's always some kind of uh, motive or a push for something greater, be it teaching, be it, you know, people who go into the medical field, veterinarians, especially um, you have, you know, law enforcement emergency services, people who do jobs because it's fulfilling, even though they'll be, you know, on the, on the, you know, one bad break away from being broke for the rest of their lives. Can, can acting fill that void? And when you, when I think of these, you know, I have friends, like I said, in the business and they tell stories about, you know, spending years, three or four of them sleeping on the floor in an apartment for that one, one play every few months you might get. Sure. And, mm -hmm. and they'd never trade it for, trade it for the world. Yeah, like can acting be that job? Itself. That answers itself. You know, I, mm -hmm. I have friends who are who are still in it. I have one friend who's still in it who has literally never stopped working. Never. And and he's also had the good luck to fall in love with a woman from Vancouver, British Columbia. So he has he can work in Canada, he can work in America, he can even work in England, you know, and he works, he works all the time. And he's happy as a clam. I have another friend who's a guy who's like that's you know done a bunch of stuff bunch of like grade c movies a few tv things and this mm -hmm. guy this guy just loves being in the business and the show business of it all he loves yeah. it and that's great you know that's great for me I, I just you know i just ran out of steam with it and uh you know i i felt like there was there was more in me i just didn't know what was going to be next yeah while i thought it was going to be writing and producing and i did do that for a bit but when I clicked into the classroom, when I had my own classroom, it was a, a similar moment to the moment where I knew I wanted to be an actor. It was just like, this feels right. You know, you know, the difference is, Jim, what's that? The difference is you're trading your wallet for your heart. You're doing what you love. Yeah, if I guess. And I think the reason love, maybe I got out of acting was I was having to do it for my wallet. And that was like, that was unpleasant. Mm. And and absolutely, and I want to, you know, Dan, you were telling your story, and it, something, and I didn't want to interrupt you because I would never do that to you, Dan. But <laughs> something uh, clicked in my mind. I remembered a few years ago, Jim, that there was a a, a young guy, a fairly young guy, an actor named Richard Greco. 
Um, sure. Yeah, you remember who he is? Yeah, I did a film with him. Okay. Now, he's a, a great-looking guy when he was, you know, in better shape. Um, he was recently found, I guess, recently in the last year or two, uh, sleeping in dumpsters. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and we, there are photos of him, oh. you know, being, you know, uh, taken in by strays and t- taken in. But yeah, I'm not you can't even make this stuff up. Yeah. There have been a few. And I researched this, Jim. There have been a few like that. Um, Richard Greco is, the, is the, the recent casualty of the entertainment business. But a lot, again, a lot like wrestling. When they're done with you, they throw you out. You're a flavor of the week for a while. Maybe yeah, you're a flavor of the month. But it's also like, look, you're still a person. And, um, you know, who knows what his family history is of depression or, you know, uh, chemical stuff. Like I said, I did a, a film with him in Bulgaria, uh, a sci-fi you know, channel thing and Mm -hmm. super nice guy, gentle, quiet guy, just really great guy. You know, we didn't hang out, you know, a lot. I guess I was there two, two two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Really nice guy played fantasy baseball a lot in his, in his room, but very generous, great guy. And he was like the star of the movie. This was 2003, 2004, something like that. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry to hear about that. That's terrible. Yeah, um, that's that's straight up shoot, straight shoot. Um, but you know, as I said, you know, he's he's the most recent casualty. There's this thing about Hollywood, especially old Hollywood, where, and I guess it's more humane now, if you, if I, for lack of a better term, but there was a, a time when when Hollywood was done with you, you know. You were on the marquee one day, you were off the next, and they they went on to the next name on the list. How, and I want to talk to, to talk to you about the psychology of this, because we talk about psychology a lot on this show. It's interesting. The psychology of knowing that you were somebody one day, and now nobody knows your name. Richard Grieco is a great case of that. Good-looking guy, handsome as all get out. He had probably any woman that he wanted. Now he's unrecognizable as the same person that he was. Old Hollywood used to do that. It was like a, a, a you know, a, a, what do they call that, Dan? A, uh, a, a mill? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, some of the the, the most notable case of that was uh, what's her. Um, Oh, I Judy guess so. Judy Garland. Uh, she's one. The the uh, the woman who they found dead was uh, the Black Dahlia woman. Black Dahlia, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You mean because she was like a minor actress? She yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. She had played the system. You know, I guess she played the casting couch back in the day. They called it the casting couch. You know trying to bed different producers and directors for parts. And, you know, here they are. They, I guess whoever was finished with this woman just decided, okay, well, you know, here's another one, another casualty of the business. But there were a lot of them, Jim. Uh, you don't, you don't hear about them anymore, but I'm sure they still exist. Um, how do you, 
as a now former actor reconcile your career with your future? Is there a way to parlay the knowledge from acting into your teaching ability? And do you use acting as a teaching tool? Uh, Yes, in the sense that, uh, and let me just say also, this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. You guys ask really great questions. Thank you. I am very, uh, very, very happy to be talking to you. Thank you. This is just great. Um, I, uh, I do, uh, I do use my acting in all sorts of ways, but not, I don't come in dressed up as like, you know, Ben Franklin or anything. What I do know how to do is how to make sure I am running the room. And, uh, I also know how to watch eyes and also that's theater, you know, that's the difference between theater and film. I mean, you really, you see your audience right there in theater. Oh yeah. So I know when I'm connecting and when I'm not, I know when they're checked in and when they're not. So I know that, um, as I've got more skill as a teacher, I've been able to have other, uh, arrows in my quiver, other approaches. So it's not just me talking yeah. really, really loud and waving my hands around a lot. Although that's sure. a pretty good default setting. That's interesting. Go ahead, Dan. You got that look. <laughs> no, just, just, you got me thinking. Um, let me ask you. I know, I know that look. He's got that no, thing. No, 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 no. You, you were. <laughs> Jimmy, you have to watch his face. His eyes just go blind. <laughs> go ahead, Dan. You were. I, uh, well, it's, it's you know, being, 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 the, being the smartest guy in any room you walk into is a curse. So sometimes you got to handle it. Um, oh, you, I like, feel you, Dan. I feel you, uh, you. There's been a lot of stories in recent years about the 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 shift in education. Um, one social media post going around and talks about like the ranking the worst people ever. And one of the people on the list is, is helicopter parents from a teacher's perspective. You know, I'm curious you as, as someone who's done in two of the most, I would say meat grinder businesses, but you've had the worst of the worst in Hollywood and the modern parent of, of a, of a student in American education. Can you just just for my own curiosity, can you compare sure. like the, well, the evils all, there? Yeah, I mean, the worst of the worst, like the thing about Hollywood was I, I don't feel like I had anybody be actively in my face, cruel to me. It's not about that. The business is very pure. It's very pure capitalism. What is your value? What va- what is the value of you that I as the guy who's got the money? going to pay to have you in my thing? How can I pay you as little as possible and still have you in my thing if I want you? And and so it's, it's very, it's not, you know, it's really just more like a huge indifferent machine rather than like actively cruel guys who are coming to my house to kick me in front of my kid or something. I got to (laughs) tie into that, Jim, because, you know, and again, Dan, forgive me for interrupting. I'm so unaccustomed to doing that. Right. Um, But you said something interesting. What is your value of you? Right. That's interesting because my question would have been, what is their value of you? Well, sure, that's what you're that's what you're subject to. But I think for people for people in anywhere, 
in the world in any if you don't have a bedrock sense of yourself a center then you are going to end up you know in bad circumstances when yeah, external sure. things don't go right for you you know Absolutely. and that said i think you know none of us is far away from that ever you know because we can all have bad times anyway so to yeah. deal with the helicopter parent thing uh i i uh i it's like again i think the acting training comes in because as an actor the thing you have to do is be somebody else so you have to imagine what it's like to be somebody else and the trick is always everybody is the good guy in the movie they are in even the the parent who's the helicopter parent coming in to get in your face is in a movie about a heroic parent who's in a system where they don't understand my kid so they are doing they are acting that role that's what they are doing and they're coming from love they're coming from fear and if you can understand that and not just be reacting to it you can then respond to it you know and begin to get it to a conversation so generally you know again i think there's a lot of good things that acting training can teach you you know if you're attentive to it nice go ahead dan i'll i will allow you another question since i technically interrupted you go ahead <laughs> i think this is the least wrestling interview you guys have ever done it's gotta be right i mean well no we actually things. did it's funny you should say that because i'm going to divert the conversation for just a moment daniel of course we did a uh we actually <laughs> we're having him back uh this week by the way we actually had jim and you'll you'll really appreciate this we had a guy on the show named uh, and he's coming back Thursday night, named Stephen Plim. Now, you probably don't know the name Stephen Plim, but I'm sure you know his client, Tiny Tim. <laughs> Stephen Plim was the manager of Tiptoe Through the Tulips, Tiny Tim, and has handled a number of uh, Hollywood actors and actresses. He is a dear friend of mine. He's making his... What, third appearance, Dan, fourth, where are we at, three or four with Steve? Yes. Yes, what, three or four? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Probably four at this point, but he'll probably be back. Anyway, he's an interesting cat because this guy is, he is the quintessential, and tell me if I'm BSing, Dan, he is the quintessential Hollywood agent, manager, he's got the, the the quick gift of gab, he's got the stories, he's got the let's do lunch, baby, my people will call your people. That's how he talks. Wow. That's him for real. Wow. Dan, tell me if I'm BSing, my friend here. No, if you were to, you. You, you, you say you can't write that. If you were to cast or, or write a script for a stereotypical agent, he, that's exactly what I would picture. Wow. That's Stephen Plim. Wow. We had him on, Jim, because he, he wrote a book called Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim, where he uh, uh, cataloged uh, Tiny Tim's exploits with women, with the uh, the entertainment business. Why would a guy like Tiny Tim, I want your, your put your showbiz mind on for a minute. Why would a guy like Tiny Tim, who has really no foreseeable or visible appeal look at the he's he's a big guy six four six five overweight long greasy 
curly hair, a nose that looks like bigger than mine, and that takes some doing. You know, a, a guy like this who, on the surface, you would say, what does he have to offer? How does a guy like that make it? Is it the freak factor? Is it the curiosity factor? Or is there some genuine likability to the um, to the misfits in entertainment? And then I'm going to give you a couple other examples. I, I, I get what you mean. There's just there's always people around where you're like, why is that person famous? Yeah, I, I don't That's know. Exactly what if I'm I saying. Do, I would be Ernest Plim. Exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, then, keeping with that, um, as, as we wind down, then, then let me ask you this out of curiosity. We ain't uh, winding anything down till I say we wind it down, brother. I'm the host of the show. I'm in till breakfast. You, uh, I'm the one that pays the bills here. Speaking of paying the bills, go ahead, ask your question, then do a, uh, uh, a message from our sponsor. Of course. So yes. then sticking with that, when you talked about sometimes you look at people from, from an acting standpoint with your history, have you ever worked with anybody or seen somebody where you're just you just can't fathom for any experience you've had how they made it? Oh, you mean somebody I've worked with directly where I'm like, what is well, how is this person even here? Right. Yeah. 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 Huh. Nobody, honestly, nobody comes to mind. I, 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 and we do live in a litigious country, so I don't want to get sued, even <laughs> if I can remember somebody. That's, no, that's I can't fair. think of, I mean, I have seen a few things where it's like, oh, this is one of these things where if you're not in show business, you think show business is like this all the time. Exactly. Uh, I, was, I was on a movie. I had one day on a movie and the star of this movie, I will not name, but it was a male star who was, you know, still active and still really good. But, you know, several years past his big peak, you know, so he was playing the lead in this film and, uh, you know, very businesslike. Hi, how you doing? You, should, you know, come in, read the scene or deciding where the camera goes. And then he just starts arguing with the director about my character would never say this. And the director's like, oh, yeah. so it escalates and escalates. And, and we, we, you know, they, they're screaming at each other. And it's like, whoa, wow. This, this is like the scenes from All About Eve. But like, again, you're not in show business. <laughs> you think it's like this all the time. And I had never seen anything like this. So it was a throwdown. And they hustled the rest of the actors out. They're like, yeah, maybe let's, let's go wait over here, guys. And so it's like three hours later, we shot the rest of the scene with uh, over the shoulder of his body double because the guy basically quit the scene. Wow. So, wow. That was like, <laughs> that was a real like star trip, like classic thing. Pretty amazing. Wow. Good, Daniel. You, you know, um, you, you hear interviews from time to time with certain people who, uh, again, not, we're not named any names, but you know, and, and three, four five different people will come forward. Oh, this guy did this, or this guy did that. And then it's like, sometimes you hear it and you go, yeah, okay. I, I believe that. And sometimes it's really surprising. My, my 
old line of work it put me before all this COVID stuff put me in, in, uh, in involvement in a lot of conventions with, yeah. you know, being liaisons and all, and you meet celebrities at convention. I know conventions can be stressful, but it, mm-hmm. it, some people are down to earth and you get it. And some people are just flaming assholes. And yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. okay, that caught oh, yeah. me off guard. I would never have guessed that guy's the douche, you know? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, mm-hmm. and maybe this touches on the, the tiny Tim thing. It's like, you know, the business, sometimes there are people in show business because it's like they literally can't do anything else, like I said. But it's like yeah. don't actually have like a real talent. They have maybe a look, you know, mm-hmm. a definite look. And they, they luck into something. Luck like gambling or anything else. It's a huge part of it. It's luck, you know. You, you, something happens. Somebody says yes and then other things happen or they say no, and other things don't happen. So, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. It's just mm-hmm. Wow. Daniel, how about a word from our sponsor at this point in the show? Oh, of course. You know, we talked a lot. Uh, you said you were talking about uh, taking care of students, taking care of uh, the business in Hollywood. Well, you know, the key to Hollywood, you said you have a look. And if you're going to have a look, you got there's certain certain things you got to you got to have that are just right. And one of those being. Absolutely couple of couple of guys you know you, you got to feel comfortable in your own skin your own pants and you can with our friends and our sponsor at manscaped.com manscaped.com is the world's leading producer of manscaping products currently their big package deal the lawnmower 3.0 which is the best trimmer out there i use it i'll vouch for it myself it comes in a combo package with a deodorant a revitalizing spray a leather handbag so you get all that you can use promo code wrestling future for 20 percent off uh, christmas is coming up so you got a lot of uh, opportunity there manscaped.com and wrestling future for 20% off that's manscaped.com your balls, your will, thank balls you. will thank you and so will we they love us Jim our sponsors love us that's fantastic yes they let us do whatever we want <laughs> apparently yes with no language parameters <laughs> love it fucking awesome yeah. Right. So, uh, Daniel, my yes, dear sir. friend, my friend, my cohort, my co-host, have you learned anything from the seasoned veteran of the uh, stage and screen tonight? Oh, without without question. I mean, uh, you know, I, I hope that that I was productive in, in some of the discussion of your your past, especially the history side, always. I mean, me being well, a history maker myself. You just said something, and I'm I, I, again. I'm going to go there because I thought for sure, I thought for sure, young squire, that you were going to expound upon the history aspect of this, but you didn't. Go, you only barely went there, and I was utterly disappointed. Oh, well, I was just a little left flat, but well, we were we were kind of so in I'll the give moment you a chance to make it because I'm going to invite Jim back on the show. Well, there you go. I mean, I figured we were we were kind of in the moment and uh, the the I mean, I think be talking one, past be, be one. Be well, what I what I mean is talking past career, you know, the, the conversation really didn't steer towards the history side of it and being a history guy yourself, Jim, you know, that, that there's always that one guy that tries to shoehorn the, the discussion of history into every conversation. I am. So, guy, yeah. yeah, me, me too. And, and that <laughs> sometimes you get the, you get the understanding when that's, that's well. I was going to so, say that's Dan. 
I'm surprised you didn't do that. I gave you a, a wide open gap to jump in. And you kind of took a fart on the whole thing, man. Well, I mean, I wanted to the, uh, the, the, the his his interest in history, but I it was bring more... you a star. Look at this. I bring you a man with credits. Well, he was, Angelo, if I might, I, you know, it's understandable. Like millions of people and many, many, many women, Dan is just like, you know, uh, distracted by my charisma. There you go. It's, you know, it's right. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, I am going to invite you back. I definitely think this is worth exploring a part two. We, uh, I'll tell you what, man, that was a fast hour. Holy crap. That was a fast hour. Yes, sir. We are going to bring Jim Fife back. I will get with Jim, uh, either after the show or tomorrow. And Jim, uh, you and I will discuss, uh, your best nights to come back. And I want to explore, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to do the next show with Jim and Dan. We're going to do this. Okay. We we're, we're going to talk about. Oh, oh, this is a good subject. I want to talk about the history, the psych, no, the psychology of the entertainment business. That's a whole show right there. The psychology of the uh, of the film and entertainment business. Dan and I have had hours upon hours of conversation about the psychology of wrestling because that's very much paramount into individual matches but when when your business is a psychology oriented business in that it is designed to evoke emotions and that's what film and television even stage plays that's what they're designed to do Make you laugh, make you cry, make you think, uh, make you respond in some way. It's the the theater of the mind. And I think there's a lot more there to explore than we've explored tonight. And uh, I'd love to have you come back. And 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 then in episode three, we'll get into history, Dan. Right. We we can do that because we're bringing Stephen Plim back for number four. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Okay. Uh, well, this is great. Uh, the questions have been great. Angela, it's been great seeing you and uh, talking with you guys. Dan, your questions are as thoughtful and impressive as are your mutton chops. <laughs> well, there thank you. you go. Told him this guy's going to give Wolverine a run for his money, brother. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah. On behalf of Dan, the man Sebastiano, on behalf of Jim, jimfife.com. You can find all your Fife needs. <laughs> Everything for Fife. At it's jimfife.com. Is it is dot com not dot org or any, no, it's just dot jimfife.com. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm giving them the right the web address. I am Angelo DeCipio for Wrestling with the Future. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thursday night, Stephen Flynn. Take care. <laughs>